It's good to be back this evening. Uh, we're glad to see each and every one of you. Um, we're excited about this meeting, and over the course of the next seven days, we uh, pray if it's God's will, we'll be meeting together each night. Uh, before we do start our study tonight, I just want to kind of give you a preview of what's to come. And Lord willing, if nothing changes, tomorrow night we're going to be talking about how to get past our past. And that, that's a very uh, applicable topic to probably all of us uh, as we struggle with dealing with things that we might have done in our past. So if you know someone, uh, a friend, a family member, someone in the community that you thought, think might be interested in that, uh, someone who's had trouble getting past their past, invite them to come tomorrow night. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about some foundational things to, to build upon as we go throughout the week. We want to talk about the subject of authority. And as we talk about authority, I want to, to do that in sort of maybe a, a strange way. I want to go look at some things that the Pharisees said. And I want to look at some, some questions that they asked Jesus and examine those questions to begin our study tonight. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23, the Bible says, Now when he came into the temple, that's Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 25. Here's Jesus' question. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? And then the Bible says this, And they reasoned among themselves. What's that mean? It means, I guess they talked amongst themselves. They tried to find an answer to this question. And they said, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude. For all count John, or they consider John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now understand, these men are trying to trap Jesus. That's their intention. They thought they were going to outsmart the Lord. He asked them a simple question, one which he knew they would not answer. It's not that they could not answer it, it's just that they chose not to because they were all about pleasing men and worried about their own life. And so they didn't say, we don't know. <laughs> That's what they said. We don't know. They probably had an idea. But after consideration, they knew they were trapped. We see these men often doing this to Jesus, don't we? But I want to ask you a question. The, the questions that they asked Jesus to begin, are those fair questions? Now, they would have been if they'd have had the right intention, but they, they weren't asking Jesus because they were really curious. But I want to look at their questions. They said, by what authority... Are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Those two questions that they ask are actually built upon something we see biblically all throughout the Old and New Testament. That authority is something that is given. It is handed down by someone else. And we must have authority in order to do things, especially as it relates to the teaching of God, the things where we serve God. And so the questions they ask are good questions. They're just asked with the wrong intention. Now, I want to think about authority for just a moment. What does the word authority mean? Well, the word authority just defined in the English is legal power or a right to command or to act as the authority of a prince over subjects and of parents over children, power, rule, or sway. So I want to 
kind of break that down and think about that for a moment. We use the word sometimes privilege. Uh, that, that I have been given the privilege to do something. And what we mean by that is someone that is over me has allowed me to do something, permitted me to do something, but I depend on that person that's over me to allow me to do that. Otherwise, I have no rights or privilege to do so. That's the idea of authority. Now, we understand authority. Probably all of us are under some type of authority in our, in our job if, unless we own our own company. But there's always a... a, a hierarchy, if you will, a layer or tier of authority that exists within most organizations. And what that means is somebody's at the top, and everybody else answers to that person at the top. But lest we think that person at the top doesn't answer to someone, that's incorrect. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, speaking of government here, that is worldly government, worldly power, for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Even if you're the top of your company, you answer to God. Everyone answers to God. And, and I don't want us to be confused by thinking that when he says that the authorities that are appointed by God, that that is indicating that every single person or individual that's ever held a position of authority was chosen by the uh, predetermined counsel of God. It's not saying that, it's just saying that authority itself exists because God ordained authority. And God ordained authority for a reason, worldly authority, for our good. He, he did that for our good. And I know, we, li we live in a country where oftentimes we're very rebellious against authority, but God's given us authority to bless us. What if we took away the authority? What would happen if we took away authority in this country? Do you think criminals would run rampant? I do. You know, the Bible talks about that because um, sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men is set fully in them to do evil. You know what that means? When people get away with doing bad things, they'll continue to do bad things. And so we need authority, don't we? Because authority keeps us safe. Authority punishes violators. Authority is given for our good, and God is the author of all authority, and no authority exists apart from him. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came up and said, spoke to them saying, all authority. I want you to know this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. How much is that? I know that's oversimplification. All authority, Jesus said. I've got all power, all privilege, all right. All authority belongs to me. And where did he get that? He says it's been given to him. By who? By God. When did that happen? After his resurrection. He was exalted. He was given all authority. And what does that mean that Jesus was given all authority? It means no one was above him in authority. But I don't want us to get the idea that his authority with God is separate. And we're going to jump back to that in just a moment. Matthew chapter 7. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You know, that kind of jumps off the page at me. You, you read the things that Jesus taught in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of that, Matthew sums that up by saying that people were astonished at the way that Jesus taught because he spoke as one having authority. What does that mean, he spoke as one having authority? When we get up here, just like I'm doing tonight, what we'll do is we'll read the Word of God and I'll say, here's what the Word of God is saying. 
But Jesus wasn't teaching like that. He was saying, you've heard it's been said, but then what? But I say to you. That was not common. (laughs) They were not accustomed to someone standing up reading the law or saying things out of the law and then someone saying, but I say unto you as though they had authority. Did he have authority? Yes, he did. He was explaining the rightness or the the, the right explanation of a lot of those passages, dealing with heart problems because they were so focused on the wrong aspects of the law. He had to correct them. And as he's saying, but I say unto you, that was very different. The way that he spoke was very different because he spoke as though he had authority. Let's get back to John for a moment, John the Baptist. This question was asked from Jesus. He said, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And what's he asking? Where did John receive the authority to teach his baptism? That's the question. Now, why couldn't they answer that? If they really believed that John was not a prophet, why didn't they just say, we believe it's from men? Because they're afraid. But here's what the Bible says about John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Think about these three words. Sent from God. What does that mean? Does it mean that John wasn't born? Well, we know that's not true. We we read about his mother becoming impregnated with him and later having him as a child. He doesn't mean sent from God like he just appeared on the earth. What does he mean by sent from God? Sent by God to do what? Notice Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verse 29. It says, and when all the people heard him, even the tax tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. I want you to see a contrast here as it relates to John's baptism. So let's come full circle. Jesus says to them, where did the baptism of John come from? Well, Luke tells us where the baptism of John came from. Because when people accepted and they obeyed John's baptism, the command to be baptized, the Bible says they justified God. What does that mean, they justify God? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that God needed to be justified, and in doing that, now God is just. That's not what it means. It means they're showing that God is just. They're showing this is from God. And they were doing something that was pleasing to God, approving of what God commanded them to do. Notice it's contrasted with this. But those who didn't, those who weren't baptized by John did what? They rejected the will of God for themselves. And here's what I want us to understand. John was sent by God with a message. And John gave that message. And when people rejected or accepted that message, they either rejected God or they accepted God. Why? Authority. John had authority. And that's why Jesus asked him about the authority of John's baptism. Because he knew they rejected John. And in doing so, they rejected God. So they're asking him, where'd you get this authority? Well, that's an irrelevant question when you're already rejecting God. Why would you ask somebody else where they got their authority when you yourselves are already rejecting the authority of God? John was sent by God with a message. Notice Matthew chapter 23, 37 as it relates to the prophets. Jesus here lamenting about Jerusalem and And the behavior of Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, 
how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. What I want us to notice here is this. The prophets, he says, are those that were sent to them, to Jerusalem, to Israel. By who? By God. With what message? Whatever God authorized them to, to preach. What were the prophets saying? Thus says the Lord. And many times we read throughout the Old Testament where they would bring a message and say, thus says the Lord, and what happened? There was resistance, there was rebellion, there was rejection. Oftentimes they would kill those prophets, and that's what he's referring to here. God's been sending people to you. Sending people to give you an authorized message, a message from God, and you've rejected it. Even to the point of malice and murder. They were sent by God. What does that mean? How do we know they were sent by God? Notice 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So this is particularly talking about the prophecy of Scripture, do you see that? The prophecy of Scripture, what has been written. But the same was true of the prophets that came. They were authorized by God, directed by God, by means of the Holy Spirit. They spoke as they were moved. They weren't saying what they thought God was telling them to say. It wasn't as though God was saying, thus says the Lord, and then he gave them the message. They thought, okay, what does he want me to say to the people? How, how should I word this? How should I interpret this? It's not of any private interpretation. They were interpreting what God said to say. They were just speaking as they were moved. So they said exactly what God authorized them to say. They spoke as they were moved. And here's what we need to understand. When you reject someone sent by God with authority, you're rejecting God himself. Notice what Stephen says in Acts 7. As he's speaking to rebellious Israel, those that rejected Jesus, those that were coming against him in malevolence, trying to harm him, he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That is strong language, by the way. Strong language. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just, one of whom ye have been now the murderers, or the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now when he says, you have resisted the Holy Ghost, and you've always done that, what did he mean by that? Did he mean that the Holy Ghost was trying to come upon them and they were going, oh no, get off of me, Holy Ghost? Is that what it means? I'm resisting physically the Holy Ghost? No. What did he say? Here's the evidence that you're resisting the Holy Ghost. You persecuted the prophets. You killed the prophets. You received the law by the direction of God. And what did you do with it? You didn't keep it. They didn't reject Moses. They rejected God. They didn't reject the prophets. They rejected God. Because God sent them. And God authorized them. And he gave them that authority. Now... Let's talk about Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now listen to verse 2. This is very important. Has in these last days spoken to us 
by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Notice that there's a change that's happened, a transition, if you will. That there was the past. And in the past, this is how God spoke. He spoke in various ways at various times to the fathers, that is their ancestors, by the prophets. But that's not how he talks today, notice. But now, he's not talking in various ways at various times. In these last days, he's spoken unto us by Jesus Christ. You know, there was rules about prophecy. And there were various ways that God spoke to Israel through the prophets. And I want to explore some of those for just a moment from Numbers 12. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6, it says, And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So let's break some of this down. First off, I want you to notice that he's painting a contrast between the way that he talks to Moses and the way that he talks to the prophets. Well, how did he talk to the prophets? He says he talked to the prophets in visions and in dreams and in dark speeches. Now, what does that mean? Visions, dreams, and dark speeches. When he spoke to them, they would go in, and I know you may not like this word, but a trance. And that word is actually used in the New Testament twice to refer to Peter up on top of the house when he's receiving the vision of the, the sheet that's let down at the four corners. It's a trance. Paul later talks about being in a trance while he was fasting. So it's not an unbiblical term, but essentially they were seeing something that wasn't physical. They were seeing a vision of something. And they would see God in a vision. They'd see the glory of God in a vision or in a dream. They may be asleep and, and God gives them a dream and that dream includes some type of message. But have you ever noticed that those visions and those dreams are very obscure? They're not real clear. I mean, there's details about them that you kind of go, that's odd, you know. I'm certain when that sheet was let down in front of Peter's face and he saw these unclean animals on this, on this piece of garment, he was going, what on earth is this? And, and, you know, he didn't understand it at first. And that's how God communicated with him. But that's how God used to communicate with all the prophets except Moses. And that's what he means by dark speeches. That is things that aren't apparent. They're not clear. But he says to Moses, I'm going to speak clearly, apparently, face to face, mouth to mouth. So why aren't you afraid to speak against Moses? Notice this. The prophets, their message is important, right? You can't reject their message. But here he elevates Moses. He says, I spoke to the prophets in this way. I spoke to Moses in this way. So why aren't you afraid to speak against Moses? Isn't it obvious that I have singled him out? That I've elevated him above the other prophets? That I've divided him from among the other prophets? And that tells you that I have made him special? And so why are you thinking it's okay to speak against Moses? And I'll tell you, as great as Moses is, there's one greater than him. There's one greater than him. But I want you to notice what God said regarding the authority of Moses. Deuteronomy 4, verse 1 and 2. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God uh, the Lord God, rather, of your fathers is giving you. 
Now listen to verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. How did God command it? Through Moses. Okay, so here's something we learned about authority. When Moses was, giving, was given these commandments, he delivered them to the people, and that, that, that meant they were under the authority of whatever he gave them. And so if someone was going to say, yeah, but I think we should do this, by what authority would you do that? And who gave you that authority? You see the importance of authority? That's why he says, you can't take away from it. You can't add to it. What if somebody said, I don't like that commandment. I'm going to take that away. By what authority would you do that? And who gave you that authority? Because we know who gave Moses his authority. God gave him that authority. You see what's important to understand when God sends a person, when God designates a person? I'll tell you, we've all got, all, got all kinds of people out in the world today saying, well, I know that that's what God's Word said, but God said to me. How do you know they're not sent from God? They claim to be. Are they sent from God? What do we know about Jesus? Well, for one, we know that Jesus' coming was prophesied. In fact, it was prophesied in relation to Moses that he would be a prophet similar to Moses or like Moses, Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, that's Moses, and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whoever will not hearken unto my words, that word hearken is just an old word for listen, who will not listen unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Let's break down several parts of this passage. I want you to notice that the prophet that would be like to Moses, he said, God said, the father said, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. You know what that is? That's authority. And you know what that's indicating? That when this prophet comes, this prophet like Moses, he will not speak of his own authority. He's going to speak whatever the father tells him. Secondly, and very important. And we're going to come back to this later toward the end of our study. He says, the authority of that prophet is binding. Whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. You know what God's saying? When you reject him, you reject me, and I will judge you for that. That's what he's saying. Notice this phrase, in my name. What does that mean? Do you notice we see that all throughout the New Testament? In my name or in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord? What does that mean? It means by my authority and on my behalf. I'm going to send him. He will be my spokesman for a lack of a better term. And you know what a spokesman is? Or sometimes we use the word ambassador. And sometimes a, a CEO of a company may send someone with their authority to another place to do business. And, and they know that that person has been sent by the, by the top authority to go and do a job. And they treat that person as a, as a person who's been delegated power or authority. They don't treat them like a lackey or just someone that's just there, that's just an errand boy. They understand as an ambassador, they're carrying with them authority on the behalf of whoever sent them. And that's the idea we're being given here. He's going to come in my name. Speak in my name. And you know what? Jesus claimed that for himself. That's what he did. 
Look at John 12, and I want you to notice the, the, the symmetry or the similarities between what Deuteronomy 18 says and the words of Jesus in John 12, 49, where Jesus said, I have not spoken of myself. We just read that, didn't we? I'm going to send a prophet like unto you from among their brethren, and he will not speak of himself. Jesus said, I have not spoken of myself, but with a Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. What did Jesus say? I am sent by God. I am sent from God, from the Father. To do what? To speak on his behalf. I'm here to tell you what the Father has told me to say. And, and whatever he tells me to say, I'm saying it to you. I'm speaking what the Father has told me to say. And so whatever I speak, even as the Father said, that's what I'm saying. Jesus had authority when he's on the earth. Where did he get that authority? From God. So does that mean that Jesus' authority gave him the right to do something that wasn't in line with the Father? No. That's not how authority works. He was given the right, the privilege, the authority to say these things, but only under the direction of the higher authority. They weren't teaching two different things. He wasn't teaching things that were contrary to the will of the Father. He and the Father are one. And he was given that authority for a reason, to speak with authority so the people would understand that whatever he's saying is binding John 14 and 10, Jesus said this to his own disciples. He said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Do you not believe that? He said, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now listen to verse 11. This is important. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else... Believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus said, if you don't believe the words that I'm saying, well, believe the words that I'm saying because of what I'm doing. Let the works be the evidence that the Father is in me. He's working in me. How do we know Jesus is from God? Because of the works that Jesus did through the power of God. Even a blind man could plainly see that. Notice in John chapter 9 and verse 31, when they accused Jesus of being demonic, they accused him of doing things through the power of the devil. They were talking about him as though he was an evil man. This man reasons with them and says these words. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. It was the evidence that Jesus was sent by the Father. And that's what this man is saying. We know he's from God. He couldn't do this. Nicodemus said the same thing in John chapter 3 regarding him and the other Pharisees. He said, Rabbi, we know. We know that you're a teacher come from God for no man could do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him God approved Jesus and in approving Jesus through the works you know what he said he's got authority you listen you listen to his authority I've approved him and the greatest evidence of the approval of God 
or by God, of Jesus Christ is in Romans chapter 1, 3, and 4, where it says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, notice verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You know why I believe in the authority of Jesus Christ? Because the tomb is empty. That's why, because the tomb is empty. And I'll tell you right now, if the tomb wasn't empty, we ought to go do something else. But it's empty. He arose. And no one can rise from the dead unless God performs it. He alone has the power of life and he gave that power to his son and his son was resurrected from the dead and that tells us Jesus is telling the truth when he says all power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now why is this so important? Why is this so important? Someone says, I know that. I know Jesus has authority. I don't know why you're telling me. That's why I'm here. Because sometimes we say, well, that's why I read the words in red. And I hope you read all the words in red. I hope you do. They're very important. They're quotes from Jesus when he was on the earth. And sometimes later, we have words in red and in some of the letters. I hope you read the words in red. But that's not the only thing Jesus said. That's not the only thing that Jesus authorized. Notice John chapter 14 and 25 as Jesus was, was preparing his disciples for his departure. He's just told them, I'm going to go and they're going to crucify me. They're going to put me to death. And then through uh, chapter 14 all the way through 17, uh, which is a prayer that he makes for his disciples and for us as well, Jesus is preparing them for his departure. And he says these words, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, who the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said, unto you. This is a promise from Jesus. And what's that promise? He says, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. He didn't say guys, but I'm going to say guys. Guys, I've said a lot of things right here in your presence, and you've heard them. And later, God's going to send the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is going to remind you of everything that I've said in your presence after I'm gone. He's going to bring everything to your remembrance. And he's also going to teach you all things. Now, if the Bible is just simply the apostles' recollection of what happened during the ministry of Jesus, I'm out. I'm sorry, I'm out. You know why? Because I don't remember what someone said to me this morning. If I was to tell you and recall every conversation I had this morning, I would get some of them right, I would get some of them wrong, I would get some of them partly right. And that's how we are as men, we're fallible. As women, we're fallible. But that's not what these men were doing. They're not just writing down what they remember happened during the ministry of Jesus as they travel with him. They're being guided to say these things. In my name. Who? The Holy Ghost. Do you see that? The Father will send the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. What's that mean? By my authority, and on my behalf. For what purpose? Because he's been exalted. For his purpose, which is in line with Jesus' purpose, which is in line with the Father's purpose. Because they all have the same purpose. John 16, 13. Expounding on this idea, Jesus says, however, when he notice the words he uses, the spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority so jesus says i don't speak of my own authority and the spirit will not speak of his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come 
So also prophetic things, things foretelling the future. Verse 14, he will glorify me. That's what Jesus says. The Spirit will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said to you, he will take of mine and declare it to you. What does he say about the Spirit? He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And I want to think about this idea of all truth for a moment. Who was Jesus talking to? This is very important. Is this a promise to every person? No, it's not. I'm sorry, this is not a promise to every person. What we just read in John 14 concerning the Comforter, the, the, the Holy Spirit comforts us. I'm not saying that. But that specific purpose, promise, is not to everybody. It was specifically to them about inspiration and authority and being guided, miraculously so, guided into all truth. Do you believe that the apostles were guided into all truth? You know, sometimes people may come up and knock on our door. And they may say to you, I've got another testament of Jesus Christ. By what authority? Who gave them that authority? And I want to go back to this principle right here. The apostles were to be guided into what? All truth. And you're saying you've got more truth? No, they had all of it. There was no more coming. They were guided into all truth. And God directed, I believe firmly that God directed the canonization of what we call the scriptures. He gave us what he wanted us to know and understand. And we know these men were sent by God. You say, well, how do we know they were sent by God? You know what Jesus said in John 20? Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. The Father sent me. What does that mean? There was a man sent by God. The prophets were sent by God. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus says, I'm going to send you, you apostles. And then it says, and when he'd said this, he breathed on them. And he said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. You know, that's a little odd when you think about it. He breathed on them. Not sure I just want somebody breathing on me. This was the Lord. Why is he breathing on them? Doesn't that sound interesting, strange, a little bit? Why did he breathe on them? Because this is symbolic. This, is, this has to do with inspiration. That's what I believe he's talking about here, is about them receiving the Holy Ghost and when being given authority and direction so he could send them. To who? To the whole world. With authority. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 says this, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. What's he talking about? The law of Moses. Notice verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by who? Them or those who heard him. God also bearing them witness. How do we know they were sent by God? Because God bore them witness with signs, with wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. We know they were sent by God. God confirmed their message by all the miracles they performed. And that's why as they went out and they preached the gospel, they were healing people. They were casting out demons. That was evidence. God saying, these men have my approval. They have my authority. Listen to them. Listen to these men. They have my approval. They're sent by me. 
Paul even talks about his authority in 2 Corinthians 13 and 10. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness, according notice to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. I will tell you, that's not true of all people. Sometimes people will grasp authority and they use that authority for their own personal conquest. They use it for their own selfish ambition. They abuse that authority. They abuse other people and they oppress people. They hurt people. They destroy people with the power that they've been given. But notice Paul says the power, the authority that has been given to us is to build you up. It's for your good. Do you believe that? There's a lot of things that the apostles said that people today look at and they say, I'm not doing that. In fact, I don't even believe that that is authorized. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know what that means, inspiration of God? God breathed. He breathed on them. He said, as the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was symbolic of this reality, this truth. When we read the words that are penned in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, what are we reading? God speaking to us. That's what we're reading. Words of authority. Words that are profitable for doctrine, that is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. To simplify that, it teaches us the parameters of what's right and wrong. It teaches us what things mean and, and how we're to understand things. It, it convicts us. It tells us when those things are wrong and it convicts the heart. It shows us how to correct those problems and it instructs us how to live and be pleasing to the will of God. This word is authoritative. It's for you. It's for your good. It's so you can be complete. So you can be equipped for every good work. This is how God speaks to man. He's not going to come down with a small, still voice and whisper in your ear. He's not going to send the Holy Spirit to you as an individual and deliver you a different message. This is how God speaks to men through His Son. In the old times, He said, that in time past, God spoke to the fathers, to the people, in various ways at various times. God would inspire men through the Holy Ghost and prophets would have dreams and visions. Some of those things were written down. We read about those in the Old Testament. That's how God communicated. But today God speaks through His Son, through Christ, because Christ gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles. That means that they are speaking also the words of Christ, which are the words of the Father. And so what that indicates is that when we read the words that are penned by the apostles, we're reading what God said. We're reading what God said. It's not what Peter said, what James said, what Paul said. It's what God said. God chose these men. Jesus chose these men. He anointed them. He, he designated them. He breathed on them. He said, you're the guys. I'm sending you. And Paul was later chosen to carry authority, to bind and to loose, to reveal the truth. To reveal what is the will of God. Jesus said this in Luke 10, 16. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. That's very simple, isn't it? Very simple. When we reject them, we don't reject them. We reject the Father. 
And so I want to think about some things in conclusion. When we read the words of the Testament, what we're reading is the authority regarding salvation. Galatians 1, 8 and 9, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. I want you to notice that Paul includes himself and the other apostles in this. Not just the angels, but even the apostles. Now the apostles are sent by God with authority, right? But what did they have the authority to do? Deliver and speak what they were told to speak, not something else. So it says, even if we speak something different than what we've already delivered, accursed us. Accurse us. You know what that means, accursed us? Reject us, put us far away from you. You know, if an angel came down tonight through the ceiling, first I'd get off the stage. <laughs> if an angel came down out of the ceiling tonight and it was shining with this majestic, I don't know, aura or light around it, every one of us would be afraid, wouldn't we? And then he'd probably say something, and we'd all listen intently, right? Do we need that? No. You know why? Where do you have the truth? And if he said something different than what God's already told us in the New Testament, you know what we're to do with that angel? Get out of here, angel. We're not listening to you. We already know the truth. We already know who was sent from God. If you're speaking different, you're not sent from God. And so these men out in the world, when they say, I've been sent from God, no, they haven't when they're speaking different from the New Testament. They haven't been sent by God. Anything that's different. If any man, he says, preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. There's one gospel, just one. There's one plan that God gave, just one. And you can't add to it, and you can't take away from it. And men do that. We're going to talk a lot about baptism this week, but I'm just going to ask the question right now. When Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, the men say, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. By what authority do you do that? And who gave you that authority? Because I know Jesus has authority. I'm going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to listen to Jesus. When Paul explains the doctrine of baptism in Romans 6, and he explains to us that that is when we're united with Christ, that is when our old man is put to death, that is when we gain new life. Someone says, no, actually, that has nothing to do with salvation. By what authority do you say that statement? And who gave you that authority? Because I know what authority Paul has. I know that Paul has God's approval. God is the authority concerning worship and has revealed those things in his word when we think about traditions and that word tradition just means what we practice notice second thessalonians 2 15 therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or our epistle you know why he says that because then we know what's been approved by god and so when we do something when we practice something when we worship god a certain way we need to ask the question, by what authority are we doing this and who gave us this authority? And if it's in the word of God, we know it's been authorized by God. If you think that rejecting Moses is a big deal and adding to his words and taking away from his words is a big deal, what about Jesus? Because Jesus chose these men to show us what's pleasing to God. 
So if we add something to the service, if we add an assist to our singing, by what authority do we do that? Who gave us that authority? Notice 1 Corinthians 37. Well, 1 Corinthians 37. 1 Corinthians 14, 37. He says, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. I want, to, I want to give you some homework. I want you to go home and I want you to read 1 Corinthians 14. Read the whole chapter. And what you're going to read are things concerning the assembling of ourselves together, what we often call a church service. And I want you to notice what he says here. Those things that are written are the commandments of the Lord. They're not Paul's suggestions. They're not his guidelines. They're not his opinions. They're the commandments of the Lord. And so if a woman wants to get up here and address the assembly publicly, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they're commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. And someone says, Well, I think we should allow that. We live in an enlightened time. Men and women are equal. A woman should ought, to be, ought to be able to get up and address the congregation. If a man can do it, a woman can do it. By what authority do you change that law? By what authority do you take that passage and pull it out? The same, path, the same thing is taught in 1 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. By what authority do you remove that from the Scriptures and insert your own practice? Authority is important. It's important. What if someone wanted to have a conversation with me while I was up here talking? This chapter regulates that. It says that is not allowable. It's not permissible. By what authority would you have that conversation? Do you get the point? I think you get the point. Authority is important. It's very important concerning truth. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You know what that means? If you don't abide in his word, you're not his disciple. That's what that means. You're truly my disciples if you abide in my word. And that's got its own counter truth. If you don't abide in my word, you're not my disciples. You're not really my disciples. And then he says this. If you do abide in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. What truth is Jesus talking about? Well, what he's not talking about is sometimes we, we've contaminated this phrase you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. So someone says, just tell the truth. Don't you know the truth will set you free? That's not what that means. It doesn't mean the truth as opposed to not telling the truth. When he says the truth, he's talking about reality. He's talking about the truth regarding all things. That we can't define truth. You can't say, well, I've got my own truth. No, there's one truth. And it's all defined by God, and Jesus has delivered that truth, and that's the truth that makes us free. And in this particular context, he's talking about the gospel. The truth. The truth will make you free. Someone says, well, I've got my own truth. By what authority did you do that? I guess your own, right? Well, who gave you that authority? Again, I know where Jesus gets his authority. We're going to talk about truth later this week. Lastly, what I want to talk to you tonight about is that God's Word, the words of the New Testament, are the authority. Not an authority, but they are the authority 
of ethics and morality. And this is a touchy subject. Touchy subject. I want to read from Galatians chapter 5, 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I know this is controversial. We've got to talk about it, and I'll tell you why. Because this is the authority of God's word. It is sad that people get up and apologize for the Bible. If we talk about homosexuality, you know what we start that conversation with? Now, don't get the idea that I have a problem with homosexuals. That's how we started out. Now, I've got friends that are homosexuals. And so, don't think I'm saying that you're a bad person. That's how we started out. What if we did that with wife beaters? Adulterers? We don't. You know why? Because we haven't been jammed by wife beaters and adulterers to change the truth. But here's the reality. Fornication includes any sexual sin that is outside of marriage. And so if you're having sex with someone you're not married to, you are guilty of fornication. It is a work of the flesh. And here's what he says in verse 21. You will not go to heaven if you continue to practice that and don't repent of it. That's not my words. That's the word of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God unless you repent. Adulterers, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. You know what that includes? Not just the sexual act itself, but people who are addicted and view pornography daily and never repent of that. You know what? That is lewdness and uncleanness, and it's against the will of God. Idolatry. You say, well, I ain't got a problem with that. What did we talk about this morning? Twice in the New Testament, you know what Paul calls covetousness? Idolatry. Idolatry. Hatred. Hatred. Envy. We don't talk about that often, do we? Envy. What is envy? It's when I see something that you have, and I want it because I'm greedy. Envy. He says, envy will keep people out of heaven. Who said that? Paul did. Who's Paul? A man sent by God. A man with the authority to say such things because he's representing God. And friends, we've got to stop apologizing for the holiness of God. It's not our standard. This is God's standard and he has authority. And we don't teach these things out of hatred. But this is the truth. People who live in sin and practice sin and do not repent will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not. And that's why we continue to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Because it's Him who has been exalted above all others. Notice Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the reality. Every single person will bow to Jesus one day. One day you will submit yourself to his authority. You will fall down on your face and you will confess, Jesus, you are Lord. That is, you rule. You have all authority. I don't think I would wait until he comes back to do that. I want to leave you with the words of Jesus tonight. And it's a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 where he said, whoever doesn't listen to that person who I send, that prophet that I send, I will require it. Here's what Jesus said, John 12, 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day. I want to ask you, how well do you know the Bible? How well do you know it? It's going to be the standard for the test. You know, I talked about Brother Franklin McDonough this morning. Franklin is the district attorney there in Pampa, Texas. And at one time, he had some very rigorous study that he had to put in so he could take the bar exam, pass the bar exam, and then be able to be licensed to have the privilege or the right to be a lawyer. Do you think he could have just walked in without doing any of that study and taken the bar exam and passed that test? I promise you he couldn't because people tried and they failed miserably. A lot of effort, a lot of time put in. I've got a cousin who's a mechanic. He's got a manual that tells him how to fix cars. And when I got something wrong with my car, I call him and you know what he does? He looks through the book and he finds the answer and he says, hey, this is where the part's located. This is the part number. This is how you fix it. This is what you need to do. He uses the book. I'm going to tell you, you fail the bar exam, that may give you some trouble. You mess your car up, that may give you some trouble. We're talking about something much more serious. Much more serious than that. Because when you stand before Jesus on the day of judgment, you will be judged according to what he has said. How well do you know what he said? And if you're thinking right now, well, I'm not sure I know enough. We're going to try to give you plenty of opportunities this week to learn more about Jesus, more about his word. As I said this morning, it's the one thing that we need in our life is the truth of Jesus Christ. Friends, you need God's authority in your life, but don't reject his son because his son will determine your eternal destination. I don't know your heart. I don't know your mind. But if you've been rejecting Jesus for some time now, you need to stop doing that and listen to him. Come to him. Maybe you know what you need to do to be right with God and you have been putting that off for some time. Well, tonight we will help you do that. Come and obey the gospel of Christ tonight. Come and we'll ask you to confess your faith in Jesus. We will go down into the water. You can be baptized with Jesus Christ tonight and leave right with God in a saved condition and start your walk with Jesus. Maybe you have been rejecting God's authority in your life and you are a child of God. Come back to Him. Ask His forgiveness. He will forgive you. Repent of your sin. Turn to Him. Submit your life. Surrender your life to His authority as your Lord.
and he will bless you. Friends, the invitation is yours tonight. Come have a seat on the front as we stand and we sing.